Welcome to Reworked, the podcast about our working lives. For many of us, the work we do defines our place in the world. Increasingly, we are looking for meaningful work, which is aligned to our personal values and beliefs. And we want to feel proud and positive about the relationships we build and the services we deliver. In this episode, I speak to workplace wellbeing specialist Vix Anderton. Vix has a fascinating career story, beginning in the armed forces and leading to her current portfolio career, which spans freelance consulting on diversity for EW Group, running her wellbeing consultancy The Practical Balance, being a life coach and yoga teacher, and advising the UK government on gender and conflict. So Vix Anderton, Hello. welcome to the Reworked <laughs> Podcast. Thank you very much for giving us some of your time this morning. Um, really good to have you here. It's my absolute pleasure. I'm really excited to be here. Good, good. I am, um, you know, I know you quite well, mm-hmm. but not that well. And there's there's um, there's a lot that I want to know more about what, what you're doing right now. So you're the, the founder of um, the consultancy, The Practical Balance, mm-hmm. uh, which is a well-being consultancy. Yep. And um, But before we talk about well-being and, and that whole area of work, which is so interesting and, and so popular at the moment... I think it'd be great to start, go back a few years and just have a, have a quick canter through your CV because <laughs> you started, well you didn't start, but earlier on in your career you spent a chunk of time as an intelligence officer in the Royal Air Force, yes. is that right? Yeah, that's right. So how do you move from that to running a wellbeing consultancy, <laughs> founding and running a wellbeing consultancy? Uh, yeah, it's been, it's been quite a journey. Um, so I joined the Air Force uh, straight out of university. Um, I like to jokingly say because I couldn't really think of anything better to do, which is uh, partly true. Um, but it was a really good match for me. Um, then I was studying international politics, international relations, and I really was fascinated about how the world works. And so going into intelligence was just a really good mm. fit, come from a military background. Um, and my career was going really well. Um, I'd been sponsored by the Air Force to go and do my master's degree in war studies at King's College London, just down the road. And I wrote my master's dissertation on something called female engagement. So this was like 2010. It was all about population-centric counterinsurgency in Afghanistan. Um, and the sort of the little tagline I had for my dissertation was like, well, you can't do population-centric operations if you're only talking to 50% of the population. And at the time, you know, we were very much focused on... Um, men, you know, women were, were very much sort of closed and hidden from, from British forces. And it opened up this whole world to me of, uh, that I didn't even realise existed beforehand, um, something called women, peace and security. Uh, so really trying to understand women's role in conflict beyond being just a victim. Um, women's role in peace building, uh, women's rights in conflict settings. Um, and also got really got me thinking about gender dynamics inside the military. So one of the reasons that female engagement teams weren't perhaps being as successful as people hoped uh, was because the only qualification you needed to be on a female engagement team was that you were a woman. Um, and so like very little thought as to rank or skill set or, or anything like that. You what what kind of um, attributes did you need to be a, a successful on a female engagement team? Um, and so I started sort of reading and writing a lot about um, women in the military, particularly the decision to uh, allow women into ground close combat roles, which is happening this year. So this year, for the first time, all jobs are open to, um, uh, to women across the military, yeah. which is a, a massive change. You know, last year, only 60% of jobs were open to women in the army, as an example. Huge change in those organisations. And I think actually that's how you and I connected, was an article mm. that um, I had written about 
the fact that we needed to stop stop talking about if and start talking about when and you know, what kind of changes needed to have to make that successful. Um, so after my master's degree, I went back to the Air Force and started to just sort of, you know, think about, you know, 10 years in, like, was this what I wanted to do for the next 10 years? You know, I was really enjoying it, but... Um, you know, I'd had this sort of newfound passion for women, peace and security that there wasn't really an outlet for. Um, and, yeah, you know, various sort of things change. And I think actually what I see now, are a lot of other people in their late 20s, early 30s who have joined big corporates, you sort of get 10 years in and you're like, well, is this, is this really all there is to life? So I left um, thinking that I was going to focus on women's rights in the international development sector, uh, which I did for uh, for a couple of years. Um but about 18 months ago, decided I wanted to kind of have a, a broader career that just been quite focused in the development sector, uh, wasn't quite as fulfilling as I, as I would hope it to be. Um, so I now describe my career in three broad areas, kind of all overlapping. Um, so I still very much focus on work on gender, conflict and security in the development sector, uh, which is really fascinating, working on a project out in Egypt uh, at the moment as a gender advisor, um, really fascinating work there. Um, I do a lot of, well, I say a lot of work, uh, work around uh, equality, diversity, inclusion, including with the EW group, which has just been fascinating, um, and kind of thinking about what does diversity and inclusion look like, predominantly like in organisations, as opposed to sort of like the social norm change that we're trying to affect with my international development work. And then over the last 18 months, I've kind of really discovered this passion for mental health and wellbeing. Um, So I've been a yogi for, oh God, 10 years now I guess um, and recently qualified as a yoga teacher so that was a sort of a two year training became a life coach uh, went on a, an accelerated program specifically focused on women and girls mental health and I, I, yeah I've just sort of this passion for it which is where sort of the practical balance uh, has come from wow and they, do, and they do all overlap and are so complimentary. I can see it. your career journey makes complete sense. It? Really? <laughs> it does now. I think it's Steve Jobs that says, um, you know, um, the dots only line up in hindsight. Yeah. You know, when I when I first started kind of doing the portfolio career, uh, there was I had no coherence to it. I, I sort of felt it was a spectrum. So I was sort of doing security training and project management at one end and then like yoga at the other. And it felt that those things were really disconnected. And over the past 18 months, and, and I believe this is sort of true generally, like you only you only work these things out by doing them. You can't think your way through a lot of these problems. And I think that that's very true for equality, diversity, inclusion and well-being as well, that I've sort of come to see them as these three overlapping areas. So some of the security training I deliver now, I do a lot of work on aggression, psychology, uh, resilience, mm-hmm. drawing on the, the practical balance, um, you know, starting to kind of bring some more of that well-being into the discussion around inclusive cultures what does that mean um but also also the other way you know we were talking just before we started um around the way that i see uh the discussion around well-being potentially opening up a change in the conversation about what good work looks like and how that could be potentially uh, more inclusive and allow much more diversity in in organizations yeah from from your experience of being in different organizations then in, in all these different capacities, how, how are how are organisations getting on with the wellbeing agenda? Do you think? Um, I think it's patchy, um, and I would probably say the same thing about about EDI. Yeah. Um, some organisations 
really get it and it's just part of their DNA, it's part of their values. Um, other organisations I think are coming to the party a lot a lot later and um, it's a bit more of a sort of a, a tick box mentality. You know, it's something, oh, it's fine, like we've got a, you know, an employee assistance programme and we've got daily yoga classes, but you see everybody there, that's, like they're expected to work, you know, 12-hour days and, you know, be on call and on email and stuff all over the weekend. So these things aren't, you know, slightly sort of uh, incongruous. Um, and, you know, these, I appreciate that change takes, change takes time. Um, and one of the reasons I really like to work with, with founders particularly is because if you get it right at the start of an organisation, if these things are embedded in your core values and the way that you're operating from the start, make it so much easier when you scale as opposed to trying to kind of retrofit um, values and well-being and inclusivity like down the line. Yeah, because well-being is such a broad term, isn't it? Yeah. And it can mean lots of different things to different people, so just sort of sticking it, adding it on somewhere as a bolt-on mm-hmm. isn't, as you say, is not going to, not necessarily going to work and be sustainable. No, and you, you do end up with this sort of, like, dual track where, you know, there are, you know, some really good support for, for employees and organisations, so things like, you know, mindfulness classes or yoga or uh, coaching and things like that, which is incredible, but, but the expectation on people hasn't changed that, you know, people are still expected to, to work these insane hours and, you know, don't feel like they have time for a lunch break and um, and, and that kind of end of it. And, you, you know, I, I sort of define stress as the point where your perceived... the expectations on you, or the perceived expectations on you outweigh your perceived ability to cope. And it seems to me a lot of organisations are kind of focusing on trying to buffer people's ability to cope with... You know, employee assistance programs and things like that, without actually doing anything about you know these incredible expectations that uh, we place on people and people f- uh, perceive that they they have to live up to, um, and so you're never going to really sort of get back into balance if we're only addressing one end of the one end of the problem. And, you know, and so I've been a yogi for for many years. I think it's an incredible practice that brings a huge amount of benefits, but no amount of yoga <laughs> is going to counteract. Uh, you know, a 90-hour week. Mm. Um. Absolutely. So we're talking about a culture change. Yeah. But also some structural changes as well, mm-hmm. really, to truly create a culture of well-being in an organisation. It's sort of, it's the pro- policies, processes, Yeah. but also, and the general, yeah, the culture of what's expected of people. So that's that's kind of your balance. Yeah. In the practical balance. Yes. It? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so I really try and work with people too. Um, and some of it is around perception. Um, you know, I had my own struggles with um, uh, with stress and mental health in a, in a previous role. Um, and I joke that it was completely self-induced. You know, the pressure wasn't coming externally. It was all my perception of it. And so sort of healing from that was a lot around, like, changing my mindset and, you know, what I felt was, was reasonable and, and letting go of some of the perfectionist tendencies that, that I see actually in a lot of women of my my generation, you know, so women in their sort of like, you know, late 20s to sort of late 30s. I don't know where it comes from, but the sort of pressure that we put on ourselves that everything has to be perfect and we have to be able to do everything and juggle everything and, you know, have these incredible social lives and be on Instagram and be mothers or aunts or godmothers or, or whatever that happens to be. Um, and have these incredible, amazing careers where we're slaying it all of the time. And, you know, I, I think people can do all of that, 
you just it's very hard to do all of that at the same time, mm-hmm. particularly if you're then not, um, you know, putting fuel in the car. You, you know, if you're not then taking the time to uh, actively rest and recover and restore your energy in order to be able to go again, like that's why people get burnt out mm-hmm. and sick. Mm-hmm. So energy, yeah, and balance and rhythms yeah are kind of seem to me to be central to what you're doing in the practical balance yeah. so i really want to know more about that about how that how that works how you how you see that that being a critical element of well-being really yeah so I mean, if you think about it the the five day 40 hour working week is a, it's a total construct, construct yeah. you know i think it was enshrined in u.s legislation like the five day working week in uh, something like 1939 i read um you know completely sort of le- legacy from the industrial era and factory hours and and all of the rest of it and yet we all live our lives on this kind of schedule whereas you then look at actually what our bodies are doing and our natural rhythms so you know our circadian rhythms day to day how how your hormones sort of change throughout the day so something like cortisol uh, is a, and if there are any doctors listening, I apologise. This is all kind of like pop science that I've read. Um, there's something like cortisol is often thought about as being a, a stress hormone. Um, and it is released when we experience a stressful experience and that sort of fight-flight response is activated. But our cortisol levels naturally uh, go up in the morning. Cortisol is an activating hormone. It gives us energy. So it naturally goes up and then it should naturally fall away later on in the day allows us to sort of like wind down and go to sleep. What do we do? Drink shed loads of coffee, which stimulates um, both adrenaline and cortisol production. And so our cortisol levels stay artificially high and don't fall off. And I think as soon as you start to realise that, and we, I, don't, I don't remember getting taught any of this in school. No. Um, about like how our bodies actually work. The fact that you know, we do have this sort of natural increase in energy uh, in the morning for most people. You know, there are sort of night owls out there who, um, this is sort of slightly the, the other way around. It's like natural bursts of energy in the morning where we're productive, we're focused, um, really engaged with our work then have this like natural mid-afternoon slump and everybody knows what I'm talking about and then our energy sort of like picks up again but like later in the day we tend to be more creative so our energy and our mood go back up but our focus are doesn't quite so it's called vigilance um so we're a little bit more open-minded a little bit more creative and able to problem solve in the evening and as soon as you realize that actually it's not about uh, an eight-hour working day you know like nine till five or eight till six or whatever your hours are um you end up looking at people like um Darwin was was quite famous for this. He would do a, um, a couple of hours work in the morning, get a lot of writing done. Um, he would then go for a walk, perhaps you know write letters, sort of social things in the afternoon, and then would come back to his study and do a couple more hours of sort of focused work in in the evening. Uh, that seems to me like a much healthier way to to live the day, or to at least be aware that that that's what's going on, and that perhaps you don't want to plan that really crucial meeting for three o'clock in the afternoon when everybody's energy levels are down and like nobody's going to be particularly particularly productive. Because mm. no, nat- we're naturally um, programmed to actually have a sleep in the afternoon. Yeah, I've been reading. Have you read um, How We Sleep? Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> if anybody's listening and is interested in all these things that Vic's talking mm. about, read How We Sleep. I've forgotten the author's name now, but. Um, a neuroscientist has written this book, and yeah. it's a lot of it talking about um, circadian rhythms and and how you mentioned caffeine and how that actually masks some of your um, receptors, yeah. so you don't obviously it keeps you awake. It doesn't let you feel t- doesn't let you feel tired and doesn't let you feel that natural rhythm. Yeah. Um, yeah. And yeah, as you say, being more aware of that will help you manage day to day. 
yeah your your activity so that you're 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 planning to reflect where your rhythm's going to be, I guess. Is that what you... Yeah, absolutely. And kind of like leaning into it. So, you know, those moments where you feel really energised and actually I really want to do some work. You know, I quite often get that sort of like, that's seven, eight, eight o'clock in the evening and I really want to do something. And I let myself do that now. You know, I don't have a sort of rule that I can't work in the evening. If I feel like it, I'll do it. But by the same time, like, I know that I never get anything done in the afternoon. So I've stopped trying, <laughs> by and large. You know, there are times, obviously, where I can't do that and there are some really... Uh, good tips and advice out there around how you can um, bolster your energy so things like getting outside for a walk getting outside for a walk with a friend without technology um, is shown to you know really boost your mood and your energy again and sort of counteract that slump a little bit um, but yeah really leaning into it and I, I've been doing a lot of reading recently around um, uh, menstrual cycles for women and how this you know those those cycles really change our energy throughout throughout the month um, and again, there's, there's something for me about awareness, you know, letting people kind of be more aware of, of themselves, uh, what's working for them, what's not working for them, which habits are good for them, which habits are really not good for them. And we all know what they are instinctively. That's like the first step to them being able to sort of change, you know, make changes in your own life or, or make changes in an organisation. Mm. And what are the other, uh, we were talking earlier before we, before we came on, on mic about mm-hmm. other rhythms yeah. So you've mentioned, obviously, menstrual cycle, yeah. a monthly pattern, yeah. a daily pattern. Are there yeah. broader patterns? Yeah, so patterns you look at over the course of the year, like seasonal uh, patterns, I think, are there for everybody. I think everybody would agree that you know, it's much easier to get up early in the morning in the summer when the weather's nice and the sun is shining and the days are long and all the rest of it, whereas in the winter... You know, we naturally want to, like, we're, we're, we're creatures, we're animals, we're natural beings, you know, we want to kind of curl up and hibernate and, you know, really, like, it really does change the energy. And it, what do we do in the middle of the winter? Make ourselves go to, like, ridiculous parties every night of the, <laughs> of the week and, like, consume loads of alcohol and sugar and all these things that really disrupt your natural hormone rhythms. And, like, no wonder we're all <laughs> we're feeling, like, really rubbish um, in the winter because we're... We're like actively fighting what our bodies want to be doing naturally, um, but also with you know different periods of your life. So I'm, I'm coaching a woman at the moment who's just become a, a first time mum, and you know for her going through this, you know, sleep deprived, and you know there's such a, this period of it in her life where her energy is quite different from what it has been previously, and the demands on her are quite different to what they've been previously. Um, I hear a lot of um, like postmenopausal women talking about how creative they've become um, and like this sort of different like level of energy that they have in this sort of like slightly you know, later phase of their life which I find fascinating you know perhaps like your body sort of decided like rather than uh, put all this energy into menstruating every month like now it's got energy to put into other things and so I think you know recognizing how how these sort of energies change um, and it's never it's never fixed like for me balance it's never this point where you're like, ta-da, <laughs> I've done it, I've achieved it, if I don't change anything, you know, because things, things are constantly moving, you know, your body's constantly shifting, I, I forget how long it is now, but something like three months, six months, like, all of your cells, like, regenerate, and so you're literally, physically, like, a different, wow, a different person, um, you know, so, like, things are, things are constantly changing, so it's how do you kind of stay aware and keep adapting and keep, keep moving with that. Fascinating. It's a fascinating topic, isn't it? So I suppose in kind of a wrap up, I think what would be be really great is I don't know, do you have off the top of your head um, maybe a couple of things that pe- people can do differently yeah. 
to improve their well-being, individuals, and then maybe just a couple of top tips for, for organisations for what they could put in place that is kind of meaningful and, as we've already discussed, isn't just a kind of add-on. We're yeah, offering yeah. some yoga workshops and some <laughs> meditation or whatever. Uh, yeah, so for individuals, I think, for, and for both organisations and individuals, I think it's really important to recognise that um, small steps really matter. Um, so you remember that awful film, Super Size Me? Yeah, where the guy in two thousand three like ate Big Macs mm. every day for a year, and unsurprisingly was really unhealthy at the end of it. Like the opposite is also true. Like if you do small healthy things every day, they also have like this positive cumulative effect. So it doesn't have to be you have to wait and you know, to sort of two week holiday to take a rest. It's like what can you do every day? So I talk to people a lot about um, setting up your mornings well. So like having a good morning routine, um, something that includes like a little bit of movement. Um, rehydrating some kind of like reflection or meditation just you know take a moment for yourself before you get on your phone and get on social media and email and let the rest of the world come in Mm. Um, taking breaks throughout the day Um, I mean I think taking a lunch break is one of the most important things that people can do so they can get outside and away from away from their desks but uh, you know, even like short little breaks. So I often recommend to people, you know, people um, walk around these really big water bottles now. Um, get a small water bottle because it will mean that you have to get up from your desk more frequently to go and fill it up. Um, and just that little break, momentary break from technology, from your screen is, is really good for you. Um, and then thinking about practices at the end of the day. Um, so some kind of gratitude practice, um, some kind of like thinking about um, what's gone well for me today? You know, we're programmed to kind of focus on the negative, and I think just a moment to think. Actually, yeah, what did go well today? Yeah. Um, a Are you a fan of journaling? I with am. Regard to that. Yeah, I think journaling is a really effective way. Um, also, um, I've seen clients who have got like a, a big glass jar and coloured paper, and like write one thing every day and put it in the jar, oh, and then nice. you have this like really kind of beautiful display. Um, you know, or you can just you can just think about it. It's just there's a lot of evidence now that shows the way that an experience ends changes how we remembering it, how we remember it. So our remembering selves yeah. and our experiencing selves are different. So if you can end the day, focus on what went well, your memory of that day will be much more positive. Um, oh, I like it. So something like that. And then, you know, the classic thing around, like, sleep hygiene. So no screens an hour before bed. Not just because of the blue light they admit, but also because it means, like, your brain is constantly engaged and seeking and... Um, still on whereas you, you know anybody who's got toddlers will know that you know that, that bedtime routine and the importance of like calming children down and you need to think of yourself as a big toddler <laughs> toddler that's perhaps a little bit better at managing tantrums but we're essentially still little toddlers yeah. you know and we need to parent ourselves better um, I think is, is a really important message yeah. um, and for organisations I think you know those well, you've just just to pause you there just because you've you've set, you've come up with some really good ideas which for organisations would be sort of well-being nudges wouldn't they yeah if as an organisation you decided we're going to give staff smaller glasses for water or yeah. you know not overly large glasses for water that people have to get up and if we you know as you mentioned an organisation could create a kind of a space that pe- as people leave the building they're encouraged to write a positive thing in yeah, a yeah. note and put it in that jar yeah so there's a couple you've already given us a couple <laughs> of ideas there but yeah well you know uh, you know within teams um you know taking a taking a moment at the end of the day probably goes home to say right you know 30 seconds what's gone well for you today um thanking people 
you know, we all know that we need to give like three times as much positive praise as we do criticism um, because people hear criticism much more strongly. Um, so, you know, take a moment at the end of the day to like thank a colleague. Um, you know, you, you did a really great piece of work today. Thank you so much. Or even, you know, the cleaner. I mean, it, these people who live exist in our organisations and our organisations don't work without them and yet so rarely get praise or gratitude for, for the work that they do. Um, so things like that. I think really encouraging people to um, to take a lunch break, to get away from their desks. Um, I think a huge amount of responsibility on managers to, to lead by example yeah. with this. I've seen so many and you know, I've had so many managers who have you know, encourage me to take lunch or to go home on time and all the rest of it, and then haven't done the same themselves without realizing like the implicit message that sends, especially for somebody <laughs> with perfectionist tendencies. Um, so, you know, we really need, do need to lead by example and kind of get away from this culture, this like FaceTime culture that says, you know, hours on task equals quality of output. And like that might have been true in a factory setting, like that's not true in in creative industries and and by creative industries I actually mean kind of like all of the work that we do now all of the work we do now is around problem solving um, coming up with new ideas you, you know uh, troubleshooting you know th- those all require kind of like creative energy so you know let's focus say you know eight hours is not this sort of like utopia it's going to be much more about is the work getting done are people happy and healthy are they wanting to come to work? Are they able to come to work as their their full selves? Mm-hmm. Um, you know that seems to be a much more kind of positive and productive culture to me. Yeah, fabulous. And that coming to work as your full self obviously brings us into takes us into a diversity and inclusion space as yeah. well. And those overlaps are so interesting. Thank you for all of those ideas and insights. <laughs> You're very I welcome. think that in what you're just saying about organisations, there's obviously a lot there for managers. Um, but it, this, the responsibility clearly isn't just on managers. You know, everyone has a responsibility to look after their own well-being. Yes. Um, but the piece around helping managers help people do that mm-hmm. is really interesting. And um, the Practical Balance and EW Group are going to collaborate on yeah, very exciting <laughs> on a, a program to help maybe help managers do that, mm-hmm. um, which is great. Um, all of the, this subject matter, I just it's so rich and so interesting, and it just has so much potential for for transforming work really yeah i think yeah exactly um you know work is an i don't believe in work-life balance you know as as two sort of separate things i think work is an integral part of what it means to be a happy and healthy human being and a a lot of um uh sort of like healthy habits and um healthy sort of mindset comes from having productive work you know a lot of our social connections come from work we spend so much time at work um, that like it's important that it is a, a kind of happy, healthy place mm. for um, for people. Mm. Absolutely. Well, that's a great place to leave it. Thank <laughs> you, Vic. Um, absolute pleasure. I'm looking forward to joining one of your yoga classes next week. Yeah, yeah. How exciting! <laughs> so I'll see you then. But thank you. My pleasure. Thank you. I do hope you've enjoyed this episode of Reworked. The Reworked podcast is a fortnightly programme and it's produced by diversity consultancy EW Group. If you enjoyed the show, please give us a review on the homepage or better still, subscribe and then you can keep up to date with all future episodes. I've been your host, Rachel Wilson, and you can find me on Twitter at RAO Wilson and at the EW Group. Join us next time for more Reworked. Reworked.